Good evening. Welcome to Element City Church, especially if you're new. Uh, so glad to have you here. I'm Jack. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and it's great to have you as people are making their way in. And for those of you tuning in online, here's what I want you to think about. What was your favorite cereal growing up? Your favorite cereal growing up, what was it? Talk to the neighbor next to you. Maybe if you're online, you can actually text us and let us know, email us, let us know. Your favorite cereal growing up. Uh, I'm going with Fruit Loops. That was my personal favorite. But uh, again, thrilled to have you here. If you are new, we want to invite you, whether you're online or here in the room, to download our free app. Uh, it's a great way to get connected with us. Uh, in one of the top buttons on that app, you just go to your, your app store, search elementcitychurch.org. Uh, org is the website or the app, uh, and then you can find the connection card. We'd love for you, if you are new or new and joining us online, to fill that out. That's a great way to get connected. I would love to email you back and just kind of help you find your fit uh, around here and how you begin to, to get kind of connected into some groups or group into serving and different opportunities we have around here. So fill out that connection card, especially if you're new. Thanks for tuning in. And I want to remind you about our marriage retreat that we're doing with Emmanuel coming up in August, August 6, 7, and 8. Uh, I'll talk about it in the sermon again, but if you're interested, we ran out of rooms, so we're in the process of uh, kind of booking some more rooms with down in Tubac at the golf uh, resort down there. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, I'll mention a little bit more, but you can find all the info on that on the app. And so tonight, as we get started, we always pray for the Church of the Week. It's one of the things we do around here, and my good buddy, Randy Brainerd is the pastor of Hope Community Church on the northwest side of town. I actually graduated high school with Randy. He and I were on the golf team together. That's how cool we were. And so I um, want to pray for Randy. And so if you are here in the house, I'd love for you just to stand up where you're at as we get ready to pray. If you're joining us online, if you just pray with us from home. Uh, God, we want to lift up Hope Community Church to you and my buddy Randy. We pray your blessing over them. We know that you've uh, equipped them, and I know that they've got some new land that they're trying to figure out how to get their church out of the school that they started in and into this new property. So we pray your blessing over that endeavor. I know there's some been some hiccups and hurdles that they've got to go with, and so I just pray your wisdom for Randy and for their whole team, your blessing over them as they continue to reach people in the northwest side of town. Father, would you give them wisdom and discernment and, and the favor uh, straight from you. And we lift up tonight as we gather as Element City Church, whether it's here in the room or online. God, would you just, we give this next hour or so to you and ask that your spirit would move in our midst as we look at this idea of growing relationships and as we worship and putting our attention back on you. Would you just be in our midst and allow your spirit to move in activity and nudging each of our hearts to our next step with you. We lift this worship time to you. Would we just sense your presence in a fresh and new way tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thunder hides. I can't outrun this 
heart untethered to With every step I collide with you Like a tidal wave Crashing over me Rushing in to meet me here Your love is fierce Like a hurricane Then I can't escape Staring through the atmosphere Your love is fierce You cannot fail The only thing I found Is through it all You never let me down don't hold back, relentless in pursuit. Every turn I come face to face with you. Like a tidal wave crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't. Staring through the atmosphere, your love is fierce. You chase me down, you seek me out, and how could I be lost when you have called me found? Chase me down, you seek me out. And how could I be lost when you have called me found? You chase me down, you seek me Crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fear, like a hurricane that I can't escape. Tearing through the atmosphere, your love is fear, like a tidal wave. Crashing over me, rushing in to meet me. Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, enter his, his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. And so we want to come with hearts of gratitude tonight. And that's what this song is all about as we sing, uh, for always being good, thank you. For your mercies that are new, thank you. In spirit and in truth, thank you. And so what would it look like tonight if we could have that heart of gratitude that we bring into our worship? What would it look like for us uh, to experience more of heaven throughout the week and more of God's presence if we had this heart of thanksgiving? 
And so hopefully, uh, just as we sing this together, uh, it blesses you. I know we've done this uh, a few weeks ago. We introduced this song, but um, that's really the heart behind it, is that uh, it's so easy to get wrapped up in ourselves, isn't it, in this country? In the, the state of politics, the state of everything, it's easy to worry about so many other things that we stop and forget. God just wants us to be thankful. He wants us to be grateful for the things that he's doing in our lives. And so let's uh, just think maybe for you, what's one thing God did this week that you wanna give him praise for? What's one way that you can say thank you? And let that maybe unlock some praise for us tonight as we worship, amen? Speak 
These pieces 
awakened us with, with your glorious, with your magnificent, with your perfect love. So we just thank you, Jesus, that you would look at a wretch like me, that you would look at us, that you would see something of value in us, something of worth in us. That would cause you to go to such great lengths to pay the debt that we could never pay, to restore a relationship with you that that we could never restore on our own behalf. So would you teach us more about what it is to live in this grace, to understand your grace, and to see that this is something that is so marvelous, God, that we can't hold on to it on our own, that we have to share it with those that we meet. thank you that you're at work in this room tonight. We thank you that you're here, that you want to speak to each and every one of us. And so would you just send your spirit to open our hearts, to open our eyes tonight, to see wonderful things in your word. And to just give us hearts that are ready to receive from you what it is that you have for us. So we thank you, God. We thank you that we get this time to worship, to praise you. We get this time to continue worshiping you in your word and just ask that you would do with it what you will. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. knows the words to this. You can sing it. It makes you groove a little bit. Uh, Huey Lewis in the news. We love we love them. And we've been in this series, The Three Laws of Love, kind of looking at the reality of how do you make your friendships, your relationships, your marriage uh, to a better place, to a healthier place. And so we started this on Valentine's Day, looking at the law of priority and that we want things to be a priority and that you have to actually take initiative in that, that what we prioritize we can maximize. And we looked last week at this idea of the law of pursuit, that what you pursue, what you don't want is atrophy. You don't want things to just become weakened over time because you don't get attention to it. And we said you got to invest into your marriage, into your relationship, into your friendships, whatever set that that might be. And we kind of got at this, at this whole idea of coming from the very first record scratch in history. Anyone ever had a record player before, maybe when you're growing up years, you had a record player, and when you scratched it, it was this idea, this weird noise, and it threw off the whole rhythm. And the truth is that there was a rhythm to creation as God was creating it. Creating, announcing this is good. Creating, announcing this is good. You can look at that in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then suddenly you get to this record scratch moment of history, of a creation story in Genesis 2.18 where it says it's not good for man to be alone. 
I'll make a helpmate suitable for him. And it was the first moment where kind of the, the rhythm of creation gets interrupted. And the reality that uh, before sin ever entered the picture, there was something that wasn't right. That part of the design that God created you with, that me with, and that we would understand is that we not only need a relationship with him, vertical, but we also need good, healthy relationships on a horizontal level, people uh, that you're connected to. And that may be in marriage, maybe in friendships, or just relationships with coworkers, and just people that you know throughout life. But we've been created to need relationship. And, and we said, hey, listen, we know some of you are introverts, and like you feel like you could go months without talking to anybody, but the truth is you actually need people too. And Jesus speaks about this. Hey, you're the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, the greatest commandment, but he didn't stop there. And said, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. It's like Jesus understands what the whole creation was about. You and I need relationship, yes, with God. But we also need relationship one to another. And, and so we're looking at this notion of what we see, uh, this principle that applies to marriage. And this is a marriage relationship series, but it is something that goes beyond that. It goes into friendships and into relationships. So if you begin to practice these laws of love your friendships will get to a better place. Your relationships will get to a better place. And yes, your marriage will get to a better place. We, this is uh, information that Amy and I got to share at last year's marriage retreat uh, down with Emmanuel. This coming summer, again, we are doing that with Emmanuel. We have like, I think, nine or ten couples from Elements that are going. If you would like to go uh, sign up soon, you can put a deposit down. That will save your spot. We're trying to book out the number of rooms we sold out. And so we're trying to work with them to book the initial rooms that we need. So if you're married here, married watching online, and you want to be a part of that, you can go to the app uh, right now, and you can click on the marriage retreat kind of logo uh, graphic that's there, and that'll take you through, and you can sign up and do that. 50 bucks holds your spot, gets you a room. So tonight, I want to look at the next kind of that third law of love, of, of kind of what this is getting at. How do we build this healthy marriage? How do we build a healthy friendships? And it begins with this law of partnership. So law of priority, law of pursuit, law of partnership. And partnership, let me explain what partnership is and not. So as we get to begin to describe what it is, it is not meaning that everything you do with uh, your spouse or with your friend is the same. It's not that you have and do identical things. It's not that you have to do everything together. It's okay to have different passions and different interests and to do some things. You are your own person. I don't know if you knew that, but you are. And so that doesn't mean that once you get married, then you have to do everything the same. It doesn't mean that, okay, once I have a best friend, then we have to do everything the same. No. This law of partnership is not saying it's all sameness. It is understanding your uniqueness and the contribution that you can have together. It is kind of getting at this idea of partnering and leveraging your life for the betterment of the other person and for them to leverage their life for the betterment of you, whether that's in a friendship or whether that's in a marriage, that you actually get to leverage your life for the partnership's sake that you both become better. So this is how this begins to work out. Uh, Amy and I were... We're working on this probably, you know, we've been married 26 years, and so we've developed things over time, and what we've come to understand is that I'm good at some things, and Amy is good at some things, and like, 
it just seems like we should help each other be good at those things, and we should work together on those things and actually let the person who's good at those things do it. So like yesterday, we went to Home Depot because my wife loves me. And we're walking around and we're looking at a new grill because it's been 10 years since the old first grill and now we're ready and it's time for a new grill. And so we're looking around and I've been doing a lot of research and looking at all these things. And so we found the one that we think we want and I showed great restraint not buying it yesterday because we agreed on that. Okay, we're just going to look at things. And, but here's what's going to happen in the next couple months when I do get it. We're going to take it home. I'm going to pull it out of the box. I'm going to get all the tools necessary. And then... I'm going to go make lemonade, and I'm going to bring it back out. Why? Because my wife is so much better at assembling things than I am. I don't like reading directions. I'm not good at it. I get lost in it, and so I just try to wing it. And that's never really good when you're spending this much money on a grill. And so I just realized over time, my wife is so much better. That's exactly what happened 10 years ago. We bought a grill, we brought it home, I got it out of the box, got the tools, I went and made lemonade. She assembled our grill. Now listen, she's never grilled on our grill. In fact, we were talking about that this weekend. She's never grilled, ever. And I was like, ever? Like your entire life, ever? No. I'm like, so I, I guess 26 years, I've, I've literally done, I've never thought about it, but I guess I've done all the grilling in our house, but I'm not the one who builds the grill. Why, because she's better at that. It's this partnership. Now, I know you may be like, well, that loses your man card. I don't care. I've had three kids. I'm good. Uh, and so, like, whatever. Uh, but this idea of learning, how do we partner together, that's what partnership begins to look like in a marriage and in our friendships. That in our friendships, we begin to see things. See, here's what we understand, that we are better together as we tackle this. And so we've been looking at this verse in Genesis that really deals with marriage, but really we extrapolate out the, these principles from there. That Genesis 2.24, God said, okay, in Genesis 2.18, not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man uh, shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This one flesh is this notion of partnership. Really what it's getting at is beginning to, to adapt our mindset from a me mindset to a we mindset. And that is imperative when it comes to healthy marriages. That's imperative when it comes to healthy friendships, when it comes to healthy relationships. You are always going to be you, okay? No one changes that. Whether you get married or not, you're always you. And so you've grown up your entire life thinking from a me mindset. In fact, if you have kids here, or if maybe you're an uncle or an aunt and you've been around your nieces and nephews, uh, what, you, what you understand to be natural uh, never really naturally happens. Meaning kids don't come out of the womb and growing up and naturally want to share. We say, we have a little adage that says uh, sharing is caring, right? Who drilled that into you? Because you weren't born with that, right? In fact, the chorus that happens at the McDonald's playground or in the, the, the places at the park is like the Nemo birds, right? They circle around, they're like, mine, 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 mine. That's the normal chorus that you hear. But you have grown up and matured to the place that you realize and you actually believe sharing is caring. But you had to have that drilled into you because that wasn't natural from the get-go. In fact, you wanted it to be about you. Why? Because you grew up with a me mindset. It's about me. And listen, 
Some people get married and they live together for 20 years and they still have a me mindset. True? I bet you know some people like that. I bet you know friends who maybe married or not married, but have grown up in a me mindset and it's never really been drilled out of them. And now they're 50, 55, 60. And the reality is everything still revolves around them. They approach life from a perspective of a me perspective, a me mindset. And part of getting to a place of having a healthy marriage, a healthy friendship, healthy relationship is, is beginning to adapt and grow out of that and getting to a place where you understand that this is about a we mindset. That you begin to see your marriage partner as a partner, not a competitor. And some folks struggle with that. But if you want to have a healthy marriage, a healthy friendship, then you've got to get to that place where you're moving out of a me mindset into a we mindset. And tonight, I want to, we've been trying to, in this series, be really practical to say, here's how you begin to foster these kind of things. Here's what prioritizing your relationship looks like. Here's what it means to actually pursue your relationship. And tonight, I want to get real practical about what it means to actually partner uh, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, how do you begin to see that and play that out, that you would foster that we mindset? And, and I want to look at three key scriptures that give out some principles for us that if we practice these, if we live these out, I promise you, your marriage will be at a better place, your friendships will be at a better place, your relationships will get to a better place. And it begins with this we mindset. And maybe the first aspect of that is getting to the place where you understand and, and you have a concept and you get your mind around. Um, we are better together. We are better together. How many of you would be willing to admit, either at home or here, that you have some blind spots when it comes to life? That you're willing to own the fact that maybe you don't see everything perfectly. That maybe there's some understanding that you have a way of interpreting things maybe 85% right, but maybe there's 15% that you don't see properly or in a healthy way. And maybe some other people that God has put in your life, whether it's good friends, whether it's your spouse, can see things from a different perspective or see things from a different angle and actually help speak life into you. But only if you begin to live life with, a, with an understanding that we are better together. That left to myself, I, I may miss some things. Left on my own, I may not enjoy actually seeing this. That uh, I just wrote this. When you're solo, you lacko. That's, I know that's not a word, but it rhymed. And, and so this idea that when you're solo, you lacko. You're lacking some things. And so if you learn to understand this idea that we need others, if I've been created to need a relationship with God, yes, and with others, that there's something significant about that, that it can actually help me live a better life if I don't make it just the me mindset, if I begin to live. Uh, Solomon writes this, I've used often in weddings, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11 says, two are better than one. When you go shopping, if you get two shirts for the price of one, isn't that better, Right? If you get two pairs of shoes, ladies, yes, it's better, right? Two is better than one. We know this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one falls down, the other can help them up. 
But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. If two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Solomon is not talking about creating codependency here. He's highlighting the reality that we need others in life. That part of the truth is we all have blind spots in and of ourselves. And if we don't uh, look to, to have a deeper perspective or a better perspective by other people in our life, friends, our spouse, relationships that we have, that we are going to miss some things and miss out on some things. You can probably recall a time in your life where you've had friends or God has used your spouse to help build into you something that you were missing. That they helped steer you away from a mistake you were about to make. Or they came alongside you and gave you the encouragement that you needed in the moment. Or they helped you see a situation that you were facing from a different perspective that enabled you to move forward in life differently than what you had charted out a path for yourself. And you're the one who benefited because other people spoke into your life. That we are better together. There was a, a research study done, you can just Google search uh, marshmallow test, right? And it, they took children and, and they uh, worked with them and researchers came in and they put a marshmallow on the table and they said, listen, you can have this marshmallow now, but I'm going to leave the room now for about five, ten minutes. I'm going to go talk with another researcher and I'm going to come back. If, if this marshmallow is still here, then you can have two. Well, you can understand elementary kids, you're like, oh, okay. And so what they would do is the researcher would leave the room, the camera was still on them, and the kids were just trying to figure out, okay, how do I not eat this marshmallow? Because I really want two. Two is better than one. See how this works? Ecclesiastes. Uh, and so this idea of two is better than one. And so they would, like, sit on their hands. They would walk around the room. They'd walk around the table talking to the marshmallow. Like, I'm not going to eat you now because I'm going to get the second one. And so they would have all this kind of stuff. And they were measuring this idea of how can you show self-restraint? How can you uh, work on not just jumping to, 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 to the pleasure of a moment but actually being able to, to, to not jump to self-gratification in that way, of, but actually being able to delay that gratification. And what's interesting, this done back in the 80s, they came back in January of 2020 and did this research again uh, from a little bit different angle. And this time they had kids paired up. And they would play together for about 15 minutes or so, playing a game, hanging out, whatever they'd be. And then they would bring them into the room and with their partner, they would say, listen, here's a cookie. You can have a cookie. Or uh, we have to go out and, and do a couple things. We're going to come back in about 10 minutes. And uh, if you'll wait, then you'll get two cookies. See how this works? Two is better than one. See, you're catching on. And, and so this idea of partners working together, and they kind of worked with these two kids now. And they left the room. And, and what was fascinating in the research is they found that those two kids working together had a greater significant understanding and ability to not jump and eat the first cookie, but to actually wait. Why? Because you didn't want to disappoint your friend. I've just bonded with this person, and I've now kind of, we're doing life, and I don't want to be the first one to eat the cookie, because then they won't get a second one. And I won't get a second one, and I don't want to disappoint them. And I don't want to have them actually think less of me. This is second and third graders wrestling with this notion of what do you do. And what they found is that significantly higher ability to restrain. Why? Because they had a partner. Why? Because we're better 
together. This concept of what Solomon wrote so many thousands of years ago, that two are better than one. This idea of understanding that with someone else, we're better together and I can actually live out the best possible way to live life if I got other people that are helping me live it to the best possible way. Solomon ends his time with talking about this. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And this idea that you could take two, uh, two twines and kind of weave them together, and you can still kind of break them apart, but if you put a fishing line in between those three and you're weaving them together, it's, it's pretty hard to break. It's just a simple idea we've, I've talked in many weddings about, of this concept that if you weave God into the part of your marriage or the part of your friendship, that if you, if you add God as a component and as uh, an entity into your friendships and into your marriage, it actually just incredibly strengthens your relationship. And so make God a part of how you interact and how you weave. Not only are you better together, but with God in the mix, you're better even yet. And so this concept of better together is a key understanding for us and how we foster this moving from a me mindset to a we mindset that I have to believe and I have to act that I'm actually better together with my friend, with my spouse. I'm, I'm better there than I am just solo on my own. And if we live that way, you're the one who benefits. A second uh, scripture passage that we look at is, is found in Romans. It's this principle of, of championing each other. Uh, make it a point to champion one another, especially emotionally. Uh, especially emotionally. You are a physical being, right? You are a mental being. It's who you are. But you are also emotional in how God has created you. You are not a robot. Jesus was not a robot. In fact, when you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you see a range of emotions that he expressed. Why? Because you're created in his image. That you're created in a way to, to, to understand that we are emotional creatures. Now, some of you may be much more reserved than others, and that's okay. But the reality is emotion is a part of life. And how we begin to get at emotion and begin to understand is that we want to grow in our ability to emote, uh, our ability to show empathy and compassion to the, to the person that we're married to, to the friendship that we have. You want to work on that. You want to invest on, with each other on an emotional level. Because we cannot be healthy and fully functioning together if we are emotionally lacking. And so growing our empathy and growing our compassion is important. Uh, brain research, uh, I'm not a brainiac, but just studying the brain a little bit more over the last 10 years plus is just fascinating how God created us. I don't know if you've ever done that. If just begin to understand how fascinating that you have been created. You are wonderfully made. You are creatively made. Uh, neurons fire in our brain all the time, telling our body what is happening and what's going on around you. Uh, do you realize that you have what's called mirror neurons? Uh, mirror neurons are actually empathy neurons is another name that they have. It's, it's this understanding that when you're sitting in a chair to get your flu shot or a COVID shot, that when you're sitting in the chair and you see the needle go in your arm, neurons are firing to tell you something's happening to your body. Have you ever thought that if your friend sits in the chair right across from you, you ever understood this? 
that your friend can watch you get the shot put in your arm and they flinch just like you do. You ever sense that? That's called mirror neurons. This empathy neuron already created within you. The ability, that's why you, when you watch stupid human tricks and people crash, how many of you have watched those videos and you cringe when the crash happens and you're watching a video? It's not you. Did you know that? But you still flinch, right? There are times I've watched like where people are climbing across Mount Everest, right? And they got the ladder and they're climbing on the ladder. I can't watch that. I am not there. I can tell my brain I am not there. But I literally cannot watch that. Why? Because inside I'm cringing and I want to vomit because I can't handle the height and I'm in Tucson. Like, I'm watching a video on my little 8-inch screen phone. But that's how you're made. That, that's why that happens, that you have been created with mirror neurons, this idea that the creator has hardwired you to understand what it is to feel for others, to feel with them. That's why empathy is kind of the relational glue that we all need in healthy relationships. Frederick Reichner said this, compassion is the capacity for feeling what it's like to live inside someone else's skin. Our world is a better place when we begin to live with this empathy and this compassion. Why? Because we can put ourselves, you were told growing up, put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? That's what this is. It's this ability to understand. The empathy connects us together. If you think of your best friend, your best friend who calls you that you would drop everything if you got a phone call from them. My hunch is that you have built the relationship where you have empathy, compassion one to another. You have invested that because you know they get you and you get them. Why? Because you've built that into one another. And so I think uh, one of the key verses in the scriptures, and we've talked about this before if you've been around here, uh, but if you're new or tuning in new, I, I think... I think if we can actually live out this Bible verse, marriages would be at a better place, friendships would be at a better place, relationships in general would be at a healthier and better place. And it's a simple verse to memorize. And so the challenge for you tonight is to memorize it. It's Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In fact, I want you to say it with me because I really want you to memorize this. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You just memorized the Bible first. Good job. That rejoicing with those who rejoice is this idea of saying, I'm going to rejoice. When you're happy, I'm going to be happy with you. Now, am I happy about every decision that the people I care about make? No. I may not agree with their decision. But when they are experiencing growth in their life, when they're experiencing accomplishments or achievements in life, then I want to be a person who learns to celebrate with them. I may not agree with everything, decisions that are made, but I want to be a person who is able to rejoice with them because that meets them at their place. That meets them at their place of celebration. 
You understand this to be true because you've seen it happen at birthday parties. You've seen it happen in your relationships growing up. The people who celebrate you, not just celebrating your accomplishments and achievements, but actually celebrating your, your character, who you are, the growth they see in you. Those might be some of your best friends. Because there's something about rejoicing with those who rejoice that just bonds our hearts together. It, it links our lives together. This idea of rejoicing, that some of the people I've been rejoicing over lately, it's just some of our key leaders who are beginning to step up and in, to lead in different capacities and different avenues around the church. In uh, celebrating with my wife, it's I want to celebrate her character and her accomplishments, the achievements that she has, that when things are going well in life, I want to be the biggest cheerleader for her life. It's this idea of choosing to be a person who celebrates the people around you. And as you do that, it grows and nurtures your relationship with them, that you celebrate the joys, that you understand that uh, maybe the tip here, if you are married, no one should out-celebrate your spouse more than you. In fact, it's dangerous if people do. Why? Because our hearts are naturally drawn to people who celebrate us. Do you want a fair-proof your marriage? Well, then you be the biggest cheerleader of your spouse, period. No one else should be higher on that list than you. If it is, then that could be a position of a problem or danger area. So it's rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's also mourning with those who mourn. What does it look like to mourn? Here's what it doesn't look like to mourn. Someone comes home and they share a rough moment that they had, a hurt that unfolded in their life, and here's what you say. Well, here's what you need to do. Here's the three-step plan, and you'll have a better day tomorrow. Don't say that. Don't even say it in your head. But if you say it in your head, don't let it get past your lips. Why? Because you're not mourning with anyone there. You're trying to coach them to a better spot. Now listen, you may have the opportunity to help them dream and create a plan down the road, but not in that initial moment. See, when you're hurting, what do you want? When you're hurting, you just want someone to be in that moment with you. When you're struggling, when you're facing disappointment, when you're facing shame or so in life, what you want is someone to come alongside with you. I love what Henry Nouwen says this, a friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in our hour of grief, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and can face with us the reality of our powerlessness. That is a friend who cares. How do you mourn with people? Um, it's called sitting on the curb. Gosh. I can't imagine hearing that from a coworker. I'm so sorry that happened. Do you want to talk about it? It's a whole lot of quiet. It's not trying to have all the answers. It's not trying to solve anything. How do you mourn with people? You let your full presence be fully present. You don't need a plan. 
people tell me all the time, um, I don't know what to say when I'm going to maybe a hospital visit or to someone who's grieving. I don't know what to say. It's simple. Don't say anything. Just sit on the curb of life with them. They're not looking for a plan. What you need to do when you're mourning with someone is just to say, I'm so sorry. That's probably the best phrase. I'm so sorry you faced that rejection or you lost your job that way. Or Do you want to talk about it? Do you you want to share your story? I'd love just to listen. See, I bet the people who have done that with you in life you really admire, you really appreciate. The people who start not sitting on the curb, but just shouting a plan, here's the three things you need to do, I bet they really irritate the snot out of you, don't they? Because you know when you're hurting, you just want someone to come alongside and hurt with you. See, the reality is we all, and I've shared this before, we all have an emotional cup, right, that we carry around in life. And things unfold and they happen in our life. We face maybe moments of failure, right? We didn't want to fail, but something happened and we kind of failed in life. We face moments of rejection. Like, we didn't want it to go that way, but it kind of unfolded that way and we get hurt in the process, We face moments of disappointment where, gosh, I had this plan of how it was going to go and then it just went sideways and and I'm just disappointed. And so it adds to your emotional cup. You have moments of just hurt in life where maybe someone did something to you or jumped in front of you in a way that you were trying to progress and move and, and it just didn't work out. There's moments of shame that happen in our life. And it just, our emotional cup gets fuller and fuller and there's other moments of hurt that come and pretty soon it's just spilling over our lives. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't figure out a way to mourn your hurts, then people just bump into you and it just starts spilling all over the place. You know people like this, right? that they are the angry person. And you have no idea why they're angry. I'll tell you why they're angry. They're hurt. And they never dealt with it. And they never saw the right people that they needed to see, never got to have the right conversations. They were just told, here's the three-step plan, to get over it. Instead of someone just sitting on the curb with them and saying, that, that sucks. I'm so sorry. I wish I could make it go away. But I'd love to hear your story if you want to talk it out. Because when you do that, and when people actually care, and then you begin to pour that out, then you begin to empty your emotional cup so that when the next person bumps into you, well, then it's okay. Because you're not filled to the brim with that. You understand you work with people who are filled up to a place where their emotional cup Anything that happens, it just spills over. And the rest of the team suffers from it. I'm describing people you know. Listen, if I'm honest, if you're honest, I might be describing you. 
And, and so to mourn with those who mourn, it, it matters. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be, anyone know? For they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you know how you get rid of your emotional cup and how you begin to deal with that? You begin to comfort and get comfort, receive comfort from other people. You begin to live this out. You want to have a rock-solid marriage? Then you rejoice with your spouse more than anybody on this planet. If you want to have a rock-solid marriage, then you learn how to mourn with your spouse better than anybody else on the planet. Why? Because we are drawn naturally, instinctively, the way we're created, we're drawn to people who know how to rejoice and who know how to mourn with you. You want a fair proof of your marriage? Then you get better at this with your spouse more than anybody else because that's the truth. You've seen this go sideways. Someone at home doesn't understand this, but someone at work understands it. And suddenly, your heart is being drawn there. Friends, this is real life stuff. And I promise you, if you learn just to live out Romans 12, 15 in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, you will be a blessed person and you'll be a blessing to others. That it's imperative that we get to, to understand this. We get to move forward in this. That we all have people in our lives and get better at this. Uh, the last verse I'll highlight uh, as we wrap up here is, is this idea of mutual submission. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, probably one of the core passages that the Apostle Paul writes about when it comes to marriages. So we'll focus more on marriages, but really there's a concept here I want us to understand. This mutual submission applies to friendships and relationships too. This idea that I need you and you need me. We both need Jesus and we need him to lead the way more than anything. That's what mutual submission gets to. And what people have said over the years, and sometimes pastors have said, is they've taken Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, this idea of wives submit to your husbands, and they've used it as kind of this hammer. And the problem with that is they didn't read the verse right before it. Because in verse 21 actually sets up the whole premise of what this next section is going to be about between husbands and wives. And it's this idea of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning, it's not all about you, and it's not all about me. So we've got to have this mutual submission one to another. The Apostle Paul is talking about this, that some people will be more dominant in your relationship. Some people might be more docile or passive in the relationship. I bet you could argue about who is the more dominant one. If you're arguing, arguing more loudly, you might be the more dominant one. If you're not having the conversation, you may be the more passive one. Whatever that may be, that the challenge here is to say, I need you and you need me. And so we're going to mutually submit to one another because it's no longer about a me mindset. It's about a we mindset. And so we have to work on that. And I'm going to choose to honor you above myself. And you're going to choose to honor me above yourself. And we both win when we do that. And so it's this mutual submission. We submit to one another. We are mutually choosing to honor the other person. See, dominating over the other person 
is never to be a mark of a relationship sealed by Christ. Ever. Bullying or domineering over your friend or over your spouse is never okay. It just isn't. It's not biblical. It's not what Jesus calls us to. And so if you're in a relationship where the a person, the other person, the other friend, or the other maybe soon-to-be spouse is dominating over you, friend, that is a warning sign. Get out. That's not healthy. That's not okay. Part of the ugly truth is that women have often been demeaned and oppressed and taken advantage of by men for millennia. You think of the difference between what Jesus is, or what Paul's getting ready to lay out here in Ephesians chapter 5 of here's how men are to treat their wives. And you see that in contrast throughout history in different parts of the world and here around the corner from your home. Of how women are seen as objects or a lesser than companion in order to be used to get what the other person wants. The scripture says that is not reality. And that is not the way of Jesus. And we need to speak to that into our culture. This isn't about solo dominance. This is about mutual submission and the betterment of one another. Why? Because we're both mutually submitted unto Christ and to his leadership. And what does his leadership look like? Well, it's fascinating in the rest of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. It says to the wives, okay, submit to your husbands as you submit unto Christ. And then it says to the husband four times, you love your wife like Jesus loves the church. How did Jesus love the church? Well, he gave up everything for her. Sacrificed it all. Actually, that's where we get the Greek word agape. Agape says, I love you no matter what you do back. I'm all in for you. Isn't it funny that it doesn't tell the wife to love the husband? It's not there. You won't find it. Here's what you will find. You show me a man who loves his wife like Jesus loves the church, I'll show you a wife who has absolutely zero problem loving her husband. So the truth here is this isn't about dominating over anything. This is about mutual submission. I need you, you need me. I'm going to submit and honor you. You submit and honor me. And we're both going to live under the leadership of Jesus. He goes first, we're second. And it's not second or third, it's we're second. Why? Because we're better together. And I want to champion you. And I want to champion you and you champion me. And we want to do that physically, mentally, emotionally. And if we do that, man, we both win. We both win. If you do that in your friendships, you win in that. That's how this begins to play out in real life, in real time, in real relationships. We make decisions together, we navigate life together, we respond together. We seek out the best for one another as we follow Christ best for our lives. Mutual submission, one to another, leads to healthier relationships. So in quick review for tonight, the law of partnership is moving from a me mindset to a we mindset. It's realizing, hey, I am better together, not solo, I lacko then. 
but when I've got friends around me, I've got the right spouse around me, and they are approaching life, and we're trying to do this in healthy ways. We're helping one another in this. We're championing one another, especially emotionally. We're trying to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We practice mutual submission. You go first. No, no, you go first. Okay, we'll both go first. It's this idea of submitting one to another. So here's the two questions. What's the one principle or practice that you would like to develop more in your marriage or in your friendships? Which one of these practices do you want to get better at? And then for the series as a whole, if the three laws of love is I'm going to prioritize you, because when I prioritize, I can maximize. I want to pursue you. I don't want atrophy to be a part of our relationship because it takes work. It's what we looked at the very first week. Marriages and friendships that work, work at it. There's no shortcuts to this. You want it to be working well, then you got to work at it. Nothing drifts towards success. You have to work toward it. And we have the model of the one who says, you're my priority. It's Jesus. Said that to you. Said that about you. He's the one that said, I, I pursued you long before you even, even recognized me. I pursue you because that's what love does. And I actually want to partner with you. Jesus doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he actually wants to partner with you and with me. That is an amazing spiritual gift. An amazing blessing. And so as we wrap up in, in worship tonight, I'd love for you to wrestle with that question. What's the one thing that you feel like God's kind of nudging your heart to say, hey, work on this in your marriage, in your friendships, work on this. What's the one law of love that you want to get better at? Is it just prioritizing? Is it pursuing? Is it partnering? What do you feel like God's asking you to do as your next step? And so Jesus, that's what we're praying for. We want to get better at this. God, we pray a blessing over each marriage and each friendship that's represented in this room or represented in the living rooms of people watching. God, no one shows up to a friendship or, or to a marriage and says, I want this to work without realizing that it's going to take work. And so I just pray that you would speak into the marriages that are represented here at Element City Church and, and the friendships that are represented here that go all out through this city. God, we want them to be to, to deeper and better and healthier places. And so you've given us lots of different principles and practices that we can put into play. Would you show each one of us what our next step needs to be? How do we prioritize better? How do we partner together in a better way? How can we pursue health in our relationships, our friendships, our marriage? What's the next step that we need to take? And so, Jesus, again, we just submit that you're the one who models this so well. So would you help us to receive that we are your priority, that you pursue us and that you long to partner with us? And would you help that be the fuel that helps us pour into our friendships, our relationships, our marriages? As we worship you, would you stir our hearts afresh and anew? Would you stir us and nudge us to our next step tonight.
All right, there we go. Um, to sing in, about who we build our life upon. We're going to close in a song in just a second, but I want to take a quick second just to thank you for all of you who partner with us financially and being the church. And we do giving a little bit different around here. We don't pass the plate. There's a couple boxes in the back. Most folks give online through the app or uh, through the website. So we invite you to be a partner with us that way. And there's different serve teams to be on around here. So I want to highlight one of those is our eKids ministry. Uh, we're getting ready come Easter to open up eKids fully again uh, to the uh, elementary age as well. And so we'll have birth through fifth grade uh, being available come Easter. With that means that we could really use uh, two or three more folks that would be partnered with us. We'll train you in that. If that's of interest to you, I'd love for you to, to email us, info at elementcitychurch.org. I'll put you in touch with Jen, who is our eKids director. In fact, she'll be available uh, next Sunday uh, to meet with you right out front as you're dismissed next Sunday. But we'd love to connect with you uh, this week about that. So you can email info at elementcitychurch.org. If that's you in the room or watching online, you'd like to be a part of that come Easter, we would love to have your partnership with that. Uh, and the last thing is just kind of letting you know, um, if you're new, Again, we'd love for you to fill out the connection card on our app. I'd love to personally connect with you. We'd love to reach out to you and just connect with you in that way. If you're here, we do a 10-minute party in the back of the room. I'll be back there after this song. I'd love just the, the honor of meeting you and kind of hearing your story a little bit. And so as we end tonight, we're going to sing about this good grace of Jesus who meets us, who prioritizes us, pursues us, and partners with us. So let's sing into that tonight, and may you have a blessed week ahead, friends. People come together, strangers' names, a bloody is one, children of generations. Every nation of kingdom come. Well, don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high, don't fear evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. So take courage, hold on, be strong. Remember where our help comes from. Oh, 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 oh,
kingdom come. Amen. Amen. We love you all. Hope you have a great week. Be blessed. We'll see you next Sunday.